Hallelujah. Glory to God. We are entering into Halloween month, right? Hallelujah. I seen two golfers that played golf like me the other day. They were sitting on a golf cart in a man's yard filled with bones trying to get, they, and they were skeletons. They were trying to get out of the sand trap. And uh, so I guess Halloween is coming into full play. Of course, we believe that God is a God of a harvest. Amen? And uh, we don't believe in, we believe the world celebrates Halloween, but we think we'll just invest our time in something that's a little more important. Amen? All right, let's turn our Bibles today to 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. I want to speak to you today about what to do in a crisis. Crisis. What in the world is a crisis? A crisis means a time of great trouble, a great difficulty, a time of great danger, a time of calamity, what we would call an emergency. It brings us, a, a crisis is something that brings us to a point of change or surrender. Sometimes they come suddenly. Other times they come because we neglect to do or to deal with small things. Amen? We just passively look over them thinking that things are going to pass away or things are just going to die if we don't pay attention to them. Nothing that started dies just because you ignore it. And uh, other times they come because we just don't deal with the issues that come into our life. We let things go. Well, they'll grow out of it. They don't grow out of anything. They'll grow into something bigger. And uh, so we want to make sure that we keep things in order, that we keep structure in our life and in our families. And in keeping structure and order in our life, what it does is it keeps the adversaries and the things, the little foxes, as it were, of getting into the vineyard. So we're going to talk about what to do in a crisis. Now, Jesus said this in John, the 14th chapter, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, don't let it become captive to a crisis-centered life. Have you ever met people that live from crisis to crisis? Yeah, I mean, if, if they didn't have a crisis, they wouldn't be able to put two words together. But all they do is the negative. All they do is the problem. They always have something going on. And I don't want to live that type of life, and Jesus doesn't want us to live that. He says, look, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. And he says, I go to prepare you a place, and if it were not so, I would not tell you. And if I go to prepare you a place, I will return again. But Jesus says, but be of good courage because I have overcome this world. In other words, the author and the reason of all crises has already been defeated. Now that should give us confidence. And he says, and even though they are defeated, when they come, 
Don't get disturbed. Don't get upset. Don't get rattled. Don't fall apart. Don't think that life is going to end because a crisis has showed up at your life. Deal with the crisis. And when you deal with it, realize that I've already defeated it and knowing that I've defeated it, I give you a peace that the world cannot give. 1 Peter 4.12 says these words, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in so much that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye uh, may be glad also exceedingly. So let's realize that Paul says, don't think it's strange that when these fiery trials, these things that seem abnormal to you, that you should not get excited or beside yourself or think, oh man, this is weird. No, crises come and crises go. And it doesn't matter how they come. It doesn't matter why they come. What matters is how you deal with them. Because crises not dealt with in the right way are going to leave you offended, mad at God, discouraged, filled with questions, filled with misunderstanding because you did nothing. And I'm not condemning you. If you don't want to do anything, hey, don't do anything. But don't complain if you're getting what you want. Could I get an amen? All right, good deal. All right, now having said that, let's go to 1 Peter, the first chapter, and let's look at verse 6. And again, we're just laying out a foundation that crises are going to happen. And it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, that though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through the manifold temptations. In other words, problems and crises seem to come by the bagful. But be encouraged, seasons end. So you may be in a crisis mode. You may be in a season mode where things like are falling apart and everything's going wrong. It doesn't matter what you do. It seems like it just creates more trouble. Be of good courage. It's going to end. And then James tells us about attitude. He says this, count it all joy when you fall into diverse crises or diverse temptations. Count it joy. Somebody say, I'm happy when things are not right. Yeah, well, hallelujah. Now, so what we're going to do is we're going to look today at why crises come, how to handle them, and what to do with them. First of all, we need to realize they're going to come to everybody. I've heard people say this, well, I'm never going to be in tribulation. Well, how are you going to get in the kingdom? Well, the Bible says through much affliction or through many tribulations do we enter into the kingdom of God. Now, their point is, is that tribulations, crises, hardships, troubles do come. They come to everybody. In fact, they're called things don't happen to you that are not common to everybody. We are in a world that is dominated by a devil. 
Now we are out from under that canopy because we are born again and we are citizens of heaven. But nevertheless, things are going to come our way and they're going to come our way to destroy our faith. And so what we have to do is handle them rightly. Somebody say rightly. But if you handle them rightly, they will set in motion the work of maturity, transformation, growth, and development of the fruits of the Spirit. But if you handle it wrongly, it will corrupt every fruit of the Spirit that is in your life. It will get tainted, and you will begin to doubt whether faith works. So when tribulations and these crises come, understand that they come to do what? Remember, these fiery trials come to tempt your faith. Now, what is crisis after? Your faith. Somebody say, my faith. The reason it's after your faith is because if it gets your faith, it'll erode your faithfulness to God. It'll erode your performance. It'll erode everything that connects you with God. It'll break it. And then what will happen is you will become separated from God because your faith will have been tempted. So what we want to do is make sure that when crises come, say when they come, because they are going to come. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You say, oh, that's a bad confession. Well, I understand that it might be a bad confession, but I would encourage you to prepare for that which Jesus said was going to happen. Well, I heard so-and-so say, well, I would choose Jesus' path instead of so-and-so. Amen. All right. Now, let's turn our Bibles to Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4. Hallelujah. I believe that God wants us to come out of these places, fiery trials. He wants us to come out of them successfully. Amen? Even though they're going to come, let's not be shaken, let's not be worried, but let's do what God wants us to do. He has provided a way out that will bring life. Proverbs 3, 1 through 4 says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days, long life, and peace shall they add to thee. Now, what adds peace, long life, and safety to us? Doing things God's way. Pretty simple. Let us... Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tablets of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. So here we are told that first thing we want to do is that we want to give place to the ways of God. Now I know that there are a million ways. I mean, you can go to internet and you can find home remedies, you can stand on the top of your head and, and find gold, you can do everything. But the truth of the matter is, the internet most of the time is crazyville. 
But God's word is wisdom and it's proven to be righteous in all of its ways. So the first thing we want to do is keep order. In other words, when crises come, let's make sure that we face the crisis the way that God has dictated for us to face it. Amen? All of the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Now, you can jump off the path or you can stay on the path. I'd encourage you to stay on the path. Amen. All right, now let's go to Proverbs 3.11. Proverbs 3.11. Remember that we are not people that are pressurized to do things wrongly because crises are happening in our life. No, we are led of the Spirit. Could I get an amen? And that means that we are led, first of all, by the Word of God, but then also by the counsels of God. And then in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says this, My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father in his son, whom he delighteth. When crisis comes, you may find yourself acting in ways that will disrupt God's hand from protecting you. So what God will do is he will deal with those issues. Why? Remember, if you don't deal with issues, there's going to be a bigger problem that follows that seedling. And so we want to make sure that when God starts dealing with us, he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to correct you so that you can live free from the hand of the enemy that's trying to enter into your life through crisis. James 1, 19 through 20 says this, that the wrath of man stops the hand of the righteous God. In other words, it simply means this. When you get emotionally stirred because you're in a crisis, you are going to act out of your emotions and not out of your spirit. The new mind that has been formed in you is going to be overthrown by the pressures of emotions. And emotions do what? What do emotions create? Actions. Actions. And so when emotions create God-resisting action, then it ties the hand of God from doing righteous on your behalf. So we want to make sure that we end crisis. We want to let the Word be our focus. We want to make sure that we allow God to order our steps Whatever is rising up out of us that we know is not God, we need to deal with. Amen. We need to deal with. How many of you love, you know, your pastor coming to your house? Half of you aren't even going to raise your hand. But we love, oh, pastors come to my house. Hallelujah, you kids, you straighten up. I'll knock your brains out if you act ugly. You shame us. We'll kill you. And so your sons and your daughters, they do like they do in the Philippines and uh, 
They, you know, in the Philippines, when kids come into a room, they come and they kiss your hand and touch it. They're saying, we submit to you your guidance that now we are here and whatever you ask us to do, we will comply. What happens in America? You go to do that, you get electrocuted because their smartphone short circuits and you get your lips burned. Yep, we can't even get our kids to talk to us at the table without a smartphone. It's as if it's connected to their brain some way, but it's not connected to their brain. There really is a voice inside that human body sitting at your table. And it'd be nice to hear it every once in a while. Amen? All right. So, what happens is when God brings these things up, he has to deal with them. We're going to get them dealt with, amen? So that God can shut the door to what the adversary is trying to do through a crisis. Remember, a crisis is just an intensity of a difficult time or trouble, and they come to everybody, but they do come to destroy faith. Do not treat them nonchalantly. They are spiritual in nature and they come to do spiritual damage to your life so we don't fear these crises but we absolutely without a shadow of doubt respond to them quickly amen now let's go to a first Corinthians the uh, I'm sorry second Corinthians the first chapter and verse 3 this is Paul is in the midst of a crisis. And in verse 3, we're going to read down through 10. I know it's a long passage, but... Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulations. Somebody say, God's always there. He's always there. In our tribulation or our crisis that we may be able to comfort them which are in any ways troubled by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as for the suffering of Christ aboundeth in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. In other words, when the enemy comes in, Jesus comes in stronger. And uh, then it says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you to be ignorant of our trouble or our crisis, who came to us in Asia, and we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Somebody say, that's, that's a crisis. Absolutely. But we had the sentence of death, or the author of that crisis, in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises from the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, death, 
through the cross, who doth deliver us, and who in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Notice that there was something that Paul talks about. He says, but we have the sentence of death on the inside of us. In other words, they had the steps that God had given them to deal with crisis. But because of the pressure of the crisis, even to the despairing of life, Paul forgot. Somebody say, Paul forgot. He actually forgot. He said, oh, my word, we forgot. We were believing in ourselves." But we had the sentence, the writing, the instruction, the wisdom or the response to troubling crisis written on our hearts. Hebrews, the eighth chapter that says, God says, I will write my laws, my commandments upon their hearts. So they're written on the inside of our human spirit. And so Paul tells us that they got in this crisis and they forgot. But then Paul has something that is unique about him, his attitude. Notice his attitude. What is an attitude? Anybody notice? I mean, we all know we got one. We all know our kids got them. We all know our wives have several. But what, what is an attitude? What is an attitude? An attitude is a way of thinking that produces action. In other words, when you have a bad attitude, your actions are bad. When you have a right attitude, your actions are good. Now we understand James says, count it all joy. I don't want to count it all joy. Then you get a lose. You got to keep a good attitude. Notice Paul's attitude. He says, look, I went through these things and I received something from God. I received information of God that rose up out of me that equipped me to deal with the trouble or the crisis. I was comforted. I became instructed of God in my crisis. But then Paul says this, but... I don't count that God was just delivering me. I counted that God was equipping me and promoting me to be a helper to you. Do you know your crisis and how you handle them? Determine whether you're going to stay where you're at or you're going to be promoted to where God can use you. Crises are opportunities to learn, to become skillful, and to become a helper to those that struggle through their troubles. So when they come, look at it as a learning curve. God, what can I learn out of this crisis? I can't do away with it because it's on me. But what can I learn by depending on you? So that God, when you need someone to answer somebody's cry for help, I can be there and be your voice. See, here, here's one thing that the church does. I know it's not in this church. Everybody thinks that every service is about them. That's called self-centeredness. 
That's because you are self-absorbed. When I come to church, I didn't get anything last week. I hope I get something this week. Oh, hold on. Don't worry. I got something for you. Judge not and you'll not be judged. I'm, I'm headed your way. Now, see, here, here is the church. The church is so self-absorbed. They have very little loyalty to faithfulness to anything that God has joined them to. Now, how can I say God without making everybody mad? There is no way, is there? Well, you knew that before you even started this whole thing. You know God. You absolutely. I know it. Yep. Okay. The church thinks that they get to choose where they plant their backside on Sundays. People move like fleas off a dog. If the dog likes water, they're going to find somebody else to jump on. We as Christians, I had one pastor in my lifetime. One. One. Oh, my God, I can't believe. One. One. Well, what if he didn't measure up? One. See, you're trying to get me to emotionally select who God has selected for my life. You are not going to get me to make an emotional decision on a divine selection that is for life. But what we do is, well, they don't do this. Well, they don't have that. They don't have this. So all we got is a bunch of, I don't even want to call them grasshoppers. Let's call them little black crickets that are jumping everywhere just to get what they can eat. They aren't ever going to do anything in any type of longevity. They're going to get fat. They're going to have babies. They're going to die, and they're going to be gone. That's the roving Christian. Never produce any fruit that bears. Look, when God engrafts us into a church or into a congregation, that means we are there until death do we part. That, that, that's what we're there for. Till death do we part. The only covenant that is secondary to that is the marriage. And it means until death do we part. Could again, amen. amen. These are eternal covenants. Yet we treat them like Walmart sale items. You say, well, Pastor, sometimes you just, sometimes what? I act just like you act. I'm not perfect. I say what's on my mind. I should never give parts of my mind away because I don't have much. And neither do you. So let's just all own up to that you're not perfect. Well, I would never say that. You said lots of things that made lots of people mad. Your employees, your banker, the post office, the guy that, that you directed towards heaven in the uh, uh, traffic jam. You know, look, look, don't even think that you're perfect because if I'm in air and you come and rescue me, take heed because you are as receptive to air as I am. But see, because of this merciless spirit that runs through the church, we are all about performance numbers 
and success. What's that got to do with anything? You know how many impacted people that Elijah impacted? One. One. Jesus only impacted 12 and made multitudes mad. You know, everything isn't hunky-dory. I'm probably the greatest place of change in your life. In other words, being around me, you're going to have to grow in love. You're going to have to grow in long-suffering, mercy, kindness, goodness. Well, I'm about at the end. Well, it's time for you to die then. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but see, people... Because the church has become so carnally governed, it is now just a place that we gather at our choice and our choosing. I had to drive twice, oh gosh, three times as far to get to my church than I did to the church that Phyllis went to. You mean you went to different churches? Absolutely. I was at the right one. She was at the wrong one. She later owned up and came with me. Now, we as Christians, when we go through these crises, have an attitude that in this the devil has come to destroy me. But the same fire that comes to destroy me is the same fire that can temper me and mold me. And God can take out of me the dross and produce something greater than when I entered into this crisis because I did it his way. Could again, amen. So we have to understand that it is important that we handle crisis the right way so that we end up with a good attitude and think the right way. Think the right way. Whenever trouble comes, stop viewing it. Oh, now what? Start viewing at it as this. What an opportunity for God to transform me. I'm going to find out my weak places, and I'm going to discover my strong places. This is a place that I'm going to walk through with faith in God. God's going to equip me. I'm going to be promoted and God's going to be able to use me to help other people. That's the right attitude. Every great man of faith has experienced crises, and I mean numerous ones. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10. This is Paul's crisis, but we all go through crisis because crises do what? They bring out the dross. They bring in transformation and change. 2 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10. An unknown and yet well-known as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful and yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto 
you and our heart is enlarged. We, for ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye enlarged. Now Paul tells the things that he's gone. You think he didn't have a crisis when he is filled with sorrow? When he faced death? How about in 2 Corinthians 11th chapter where he was hungry, he was naked, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned to death and raised from the dead. Don't you think that he went through those crises, but he says, sorrow's all around me, but I rejoice. Attitude. Somebody say attitude. Jesus had crises, a bunch of them. There's a crowd following him, and the disciples finally tell him, hey, they've been with us three days. These people are hungry. We hear them. They said, you want us to send them away? Jesus said, you can't send them away. They've been with us for three days. They will faint on their way back to the store. Set them down. I'm going to deal with their need. Now, we might not face crisis of financial need or, or shortages of 5,000 people needing to be fed, but nevertheless, Jesus faced the crisis with faith in God. When he needed money, did Jesus go around borrowing? Did he say, hey, Peter, you think you can get back with your wife? May we get a few pennies for taxes? No. Jesus said, well, you know what? I want you to go and I want you to cast out a line. I want you to take up the first fish that you get. And guess what? It's going to have a coin in its mouth. Now, I'm sure that Jesus prayed and said, God, what do you want me to do? God said, this is what I want you to do. Okay, I'm going to do it. And so Jesus had many crises. How about when he's out on the boat with 12 guys that believe in him, yet in the storm they lose their faith and they come saying, hey, Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Jesus gets up and deals with the crisis by using the faith that God had put in his heart when he said, Go to the other side. The same faith that Jesus put in their heart when he said, let us go to the other side. So Jesus faced crisis all the time. But he had to do it God's way. He had to depend on God. What about the crisis of the cross? He's going to die. That's a crisis. Yet, on the cross... He says, God, look, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But God, the other is, into your hands. God, I commend my spirit. And he bows his head and gives up the ghost. So realize that Jesus in the crisis of facing death that he had never faced before, not knowing what's on the other side, but believing that God would do what God said he would do in this crisis. And he's struggling with this crisis. He's praying so hard that his sweat has turned into drops of blood. He's praying so hard, he asked Peter and John, pray with me one hour. And they failed him. 
Look, sometimes in crisis, folks, you can't trust anybody. But you are going to have to depend on God. Jesus commended his self into the hands of God. So we, as believers, when we do or go through crisis the way that Jesus told us to do it, we will survive. Remember Jesus said there were two guys that the flood came up on? One, both of them had the word of God. One used the word of God. The other one did nothing. The one that kept the word of God and instituted the commandments of God, he survived. The other guy lost everything he had. See, Christ is going to come to you, your neighbor, going to come to everybody. What are you going to do in the midst of it? God's given you a way out. Do you want to take it? Daniel had a crisis, ended up in a lion's den. Three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ended up in a fiery furnace. Good night. Job lost everything he had except the wife that he should have lost. Went through a crisis. Joseph was slow, say, uh, sold into slavery, imprisoned for more than half of his life not knowing what would become of him except that he did things right in the eyes of God. James 1.12 said, Blessed is a man that endureth crisis, for he shall receive a crown of life. I don't know about you, but I want to live, and I want to be a testimony out of crisis. Amen? And so realize that when you prove your faithfulness in the midst of a crisis, promotion is coming. God will take you and make you ruler over much. Whenever there is a crisis, there are going to be distractions. But thank God that if you will keep your focus on God, do things his way, but doesn't look like things are changing, they're changing. You have a faithful God. And they're changing, and he's working on your behalf. And the thing about Christ is when men decide to trust in God, God's mercy, grace, and strength show up. They show up. For those that don't trust, they do not. Could I have Isaiah 59, 19? Isaiah 59, 19 says these words. We're down to one screen here. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun when the enemy shall come in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. In other words, God is there in every crisis. And when the enemy seems to be overwhelming you, if you will trust God, God raises up a standard and he stops the flood from overtaking you. Luke 6.30 
Luke 6.46. So the Bible tells us, call upon the name of the Lord in the time of trouble, and I will what? Deliver thee. What does that mean? Put faith in me when crisis come, and I will bring you out. Now, we don't have to, but we should. Lift up those weary hands. Acknowledge that God is the answer or the resolve to your crisis. Remember when Peter was sinking? You think his hands were at, the, at his side or in his pockets? He was just going down like a torpedo? Are you kidding me? I believe he was frailing and water going everywhere and reaching out, thinking if I'm going under, Jesus is going with me, and he's reaching for the hem of his garment. But the Bible says, and Jesus reached out his hand and picked him up. Peter overcame his crisis. He could have fought his way to the bottom. He would have died. He could have looked at the answer by saying, well, he doesn't care, is not significant. He wants me to get through this on my own. Absolutely not. But Peter lifted up his hands in some way and said, Jesus! And Jesus responded. Crises are going to come. Life can change at one phone call. One phone call, you send your kids off to the movie at night. The next phone call, your child's been in an accident. We don't know what they're going to make it. That's a crisis. Great birthday party for Johnny last night. Man, we just celebrated and great. Walked into Johnny's bedroom today and we found him overdosed. He's in a coma. That's a crisis. And we get stories like that all the time, and it happens all over this church. We just walk by the smiling faces, the nodding heads, and the moving hands. But believe me, those stories are taking place everywhere. I kiss my wife goodbye today. Honey, I love you. I love you too, darling. I'm thinking, I'll see you tonight for supper. And, uh, you know, we'll cook together and I'll get the dishes done. We'll set out on the deck and have a cup of coffee. I get a telephone call. I'm not coming home anymore. What do you mean? Well, I've been having a five-year affair. I'm, I'm not coming home. Now, as much as you wish you'd get one of those calls, it is a crisis. I'm telling you, it's a crisis. I have a friend that uh, was in ministry, he had a thriving church, 150, 200 people, just blowing and going. It, it was doing great. His wife and him had two children. They got married, and, you know, everything was hunky-dory. Man, it looked like God was blessing their life. Then he said, at noon, I got this call. And she said, you remember when I told you that I would always be with you? He said, 
yeah, yeah, honey, what's wrong? She said, well, I won't be with you anymore. I'm leaving with another man at work. I would have kept all of her stuff and had a garage sale, but I'm sure he didn't. But she left him. She's had two or three husbands since, and he's had one wife since, and still married to her. One phone call, just one. I have a friend that I, I preach for. He got a phone call and said, uh, uh, Mr. So-and-so, yeah, said, uh, this is uh, the FBI. Okay, we just wanted to inform you that there is an investigation going on at your bank. What? Yeah, they're investigating all your accounts. Okay, what is it? They found out his best friend, his best friend, had embezzled $4 million from his church. I would have first called him and said, do you want to split it? Or, <laughs> no. No, he embezzled $4 million, had nothing of it left. He was an addicted gambler. $4 million. Found out because a check bounced and the FBI gave him a call. One call. Hello, this pastor so-and-so? Yes. The list goes on. Everybody has things that happen. So, let's handle the crisis the right way. The right way. Now, the man that had $4 million in bezels went to him immediately after he was accosted by the FBI and was thrown in jail, went to him and said, I want to let you know I forgive you. I grant you absolution. He said, now, I cannot do anything about charges because the FBI has caught you. So I can forgive you, but I cannot dissolve the charges. So he goes to prison, and he's still in prison. Some people never survive from their crisis. What are you going to do when crisis come? Jesus is waiting to raise a standard. He's waiting to bring you out. He's waiting to deliver you. He's waiting to give you a Joseph testimony. He's waiting to bring you out of the fires without damage. He's willing to shut the mouth of every lion to prove to the world that he is faithful. He loves us. Crises are going to come. The first thing you want to do is put your focus on God. Put your focus on God. Amen? Hallelujah. Ben, where's that young man that came with you? Uh, have him stand up. Uh, is, uh, is, yeah.
Which one of you is a pastor? You are. Uh, Does he work with you in your church? Okay. He's your son. Well, then this is not going to surprise you too much that you're about to relinquish him for a season because he's about to do a church plant. He's about to move out, and he's about to establish something that will be greater than what you've done. I'm glad that you've done what you've done. I'm so thankful because I know it's not easy. But I'm telling you there is something on the generations that follow us that we cannot explain. That is going to come up on your son. Whether it's a year or whatever, it's going to happen. You watch it transition. That mantle of youth and so forth is just going to kind of slip off. And he's going to begin to have a voice in your church. But that voice is only to verify that he is going to be another voice in that city. And God is going to bless you both and God is going to multiply you because it's going to be of the same house. But God's going to bless you and God's going to prosper you. And uh, you as a pastor, uh, have you been dealing with an affliction? Uh, I want to pray for that right now. And uh, I see that it's a... It's on this side. Is that right? Yep, okay. There, step right out here. And uh, God's going to take care of that. And God's going to heal you. And uh, you're not going to have any more problems. You know, the greatest legacy that we have is that our children become reflectants of who we are. You know, I, I think I've done a few things for the kingdom, but... I expect my grandchildren to do far greater than me. And if they do greater than me, I can die in honor. Hallelujah. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak right now, God, to this affliction. I command this, all of this pain, God, even down in this sciatic, God, nerve, in the name of Jesus, you devil, I command you to come out of him right now. Loose him in Jesus' name. Now, God, I loose the working of miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, did you have pain when you came in here? Not, not this morning, but I... You usually uh, have... Like two weeks ago, they took me to the doctor... And they do all kind of uh, um, checking on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said that I have kind of like a kidney stones. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have been dealing with a lot of pain. Well, no more. You Amen. go. You won't have any more of it. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. And uh, you keep your voice strong. You keep your voice strong. Doesn't mean you're, you're not going to be greater than him, but... Your voice, God prepares people on both ends. God prepares people that will hear you, and God prepares you to speak to them. So where are you at in Honduras? San Pedro Sula. He took us to Taylor. Do what? He took us to Taylor, Honduras. Oh, you took us to... I, uh, I was the driver. You was the driver that took us to the concrete... Yes. Church, small church. Yeah, the small church on the concrete right thing. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah. Then, and then I met 
cripples walked and all that kind of stuff. And then you met Ben? Yeah, Benjamin. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> we had a good time there. Praise yeah, God. Lots praise of miracles God. happened. Lots of people yeah. crippled and blind. And so we were very grateful that God well, helped us. Well, we hope that you can come one day and we can do a big revival. You have been. Yeah. Okay. You don't need me. You, do, you don't need me. You have been. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when Ben loses it, he's in his infancy stage now. You know, he's checking the water, see if it's still milk, see if it's still warm and all that. One day, he's going to rise up, and he's going to let that mantle go off of him. And he sat with me two years every morning, what, 5.30 till 8, 9, two years. And I'm telling you, it's on him. And I'm telling you, when he went to Honduras, I went someplace else. And I'm telling you, it's on him. And if you think what you saw in that concrete square was great, you wait till he just says, God, I'm ready to release it. And then he lets his mind just be touched of God. You, you'll say, thank God Pastor Dosak didn't come back here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank God we got the man of God. Thank you. And I'm telling you, he's God's man for Honduras. And you watch him. You watch. I'm telling you, you watch him. Thank you for driving us. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, praise the Lord of glory. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand to our feet today. Hallelujah. Uh, there is an arthritic hip that is being healed. Uh, they told you the pain that you've been having. having. They said, well, you know, it's just uh, arthritis and all that. I, I curse that right now. In the name of Jesus, that is not, and I curse that pain, and I command it to loose you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you. God, somebody went to the doctor about a thyroid, and uh, your thyroid is just totally out of whack, and uh, they're going to examine you. Even They've even talked about they may have to see how far it is. They may do surgery. I tell you that in the name of Jesus Christ, that that thyroid and its count is coming right back down to normal and you're not going to have surgery and you're not going to be on medication in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. God, we give you glory. Now, Father, I ask that the power of the Holy Ghost would fall upon these people. God, that those that are afflicted and God, those that are struggling, God, those that have been under the pressure of the devil, God, some of them in medical crisis, some of them, God, in financial crisis, family crisis, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you are the healer of the brokenhearted. You are the deliverer out of trouble and out of crisis. And God, I believe you. And we, God, as a congregation, believe in you. Now, God, just let your spirit rest upon these people. God, healing, repairing, restoring. Now, God, let every person that is here that is not a Christian, God, be touched by the Holy Ghost. God, that their hearts would feel your touch. That, God, you're saying to them, come unto me. Come unto me. That, God, you're not here to condemn. You're here to save. 
I think of that old song that Jerry Allen wrote, everybody needs a savior. There's only one Jesus. There's only one son of the living God. And he's here to wash your sins away. And he's here to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to ask you to take the boldest step you're ever going to take in your entire life. I'm going to ask you to step out into the aisle that is nearest you and to come down here and let me pray with you. If you're here today and you're a backslider, we don't really care how you backslid. We just want you to come home. Jesus is saying, come unto me. Come. So if you're here today and you're a backslider, or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you say, you know what? I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. If that's you, as we sing this song, could I have a song there? Ashley? Good, good. Hallelujah. As we sing this song, step out in the aisle and come down here quickly. Let us pray for you. Greatest, greatest decision you're ever going to make in your life is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Come on, wherever you are. everything come on last time oh now mm -hmm. Jesus changes everything that man back there in the white shirt uh, you're standing beside a yeah uh, you what did you come here for today? I know you come for church. This young man right here. I know you come to church. But what do you need God to do? What do you need God to do? Heal my back. Heal your back. Yeah. You're losing your hearing too? Yeah, I got a little bit of hearing problem. <laughs> okay. But, um, I got spinal stenosis, so I've got a bad back. I got COPD, so I breathe a little hard. Okay. Hallelujah. Your name is what? Larry. Larry. Hallelujah. And Father, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I speak to all this back pain. I speak God, it looks like pieces or sediments of something that have fell down in, in that. Uh, I don't understand, was he an accident or something? Or what, all these, uh, did they say deteriorating? What's these fragments I see? I got my back, my spine keeps getting narrower and narrower. Ah, okay. So, yeah. All right, now in the name of Jesus, I command all this pain, God, in these fragments right now, for them to loose Larry right now. Now, God, 
I loose the working of miracles. I loose these tendons. I command all this pain, this restriction come out of him. Now, God, I loose creative miracles. God, do a work on this spine in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for it. Amen and amen. Now, you have hearing loss in both ears? Yeah. Uh, what? I can, I can hear, but I don't hear too well. <laughs> well, okay, good. All right. Let's get it well. And uh, so what do they say has caused that? Well, uh, I guess age. Okay. They never told me what caused it. They uh, just say you're losing it. Yeah, and they said that's probably your hearing aids. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you deaf devil, I command you right now in Jesus' name to come out of him right now. God, I loose creative miracles. God, into these eardrums. God, into these bones. Be open in Jesus' name. Now, I command you, you deaf devil, right now, I command you to come out right now. God, I loose the working of miracles to the hearing eardrum, God, to the bone. In Jesus' name, be open in the name of Jesus. Now, Larry, how hard was it for you to hear somebody talking to you? Uh, pretty hard. Pretty hard. <laughs> I don't hear my wife a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, selective hearing is not going to do it. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, are you hearing pretty clear, Larry? Yeah, I'm hearing a lot clearer. Oh, yes, you are. Thank you, Jesus. Well, good. Now, thank how about you, you checking that pain in your back, Larry? Thank you, I still got some pain down here, I think. Well, let's get rid of it all. In the name, now soreness is not going to be pain. So, in the name of Jesus, I command it all. Right now, come out. Right now, I loose the working of miracles in Jesus' name. Okay, Larry? Go ahead. Let's see what we got. Well. Oh, go home, Larry. We'll see you, Larry. Goodbye, Larry. We'll see you later. Oh, you're welcome. No, Jesus did it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, Jesus is a healer. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Well, somebody here diagnosed with a terminal disease in the last 30 days. A terminal disease. I, I don't see the disease. A terminal disease whatever the doctor said to you is there is no cure for it anybody okay praise God all right let's lift up our hands and say Jesus we love you we thank you and we declare our service to you Thank you for your goodness, your salvation, and your blessing in Jesus' name.